the latest mail is that more people are leaving the Defence Force than we're hiring. They're leaving faster than we're hiring. That's not just true here. Uh, I've mentioned this before, as you know, but uh, we have serious recruiting issues in defence, not just in Australia, but internationally. Our allies are going through the same thing. And it's not just a manpower thing either. Uh, when it comes to infrastructure, defence material, we are seeing shrunk forces compared to what they were decades ago in size and in scope. As Tony Abbott wrote in The Australian yesterday, when Putin attacked Ukraine, Germany had hardly any operational tanks or planes. The mighty Royal Navy, with 50 frigates and destroyers just a quarter of a century back, now has just 16. The British Army is at its smallest in two centuries. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. Now, it means that despite needing more people in the force, we're actually looking at a net loss of recruits. And this is at a time when we are certainly, unfortunately, not seeing a net loss in threat. In fact, the global order is changing. It was a former, I think, in fact, it might have even been the current British Defence Minister, Grant Shapps, who recently warned that the world had moved from a post-war to a pre-war era. Now, it's not all doom and gloom, but there's enough there to be concerned. I thought I'd speak to Rex Patrick, the former Senator for South Australia, also a former submariner in the Royal Australian Navy. He's on the line. Rex, lovely to talk with you again. Good afternoon, Michael. Now, the Navy appealed to you at some point, clearly. I mean, you joined in the 80s and you were there in the 90s. Uh, but these days, despite promises of advanced nuclear kit and all the rest of it, we seem to be struggling to recruit. Why is that? Yeah, look, it's, a, it's an interesting uh, problem. You might recall a couple of years ago, uh, Scott Morrison announced that we were going to increase the size of our defence force from around about 60,000 to 100,000 to meet the emerging threat that you've just talked about. But the reality is that last financial year, we saw about a, about a total loss of 1,000 people counting up all of the recruitments and all of the departures. We came short. And look, I think there's a number of reasons that sit behind this. It's a very complex problem. You know, one of the one of the issues we have is that we that that the role of of members of the of the defence force is quite a unique role. It's very different, but we tend not to treat uh, our servicemen and women differently. We tend to uh, we've sort of moved away. For for example, when I joined the navy, where if you serve 20 years, you've got you've got a lifetime pension. All of that sort of stuff has gone now. Basically, our Defence Force members get uh, a superannuation scheme, much like everybody else's. Uh, a whole range of things that have uh, have happened over time to remove the sort of special nature, the special way in which we used to treat our Defence Forces. And there's also the issue of people watching as they come out of the Defence Forces, we see our veterans are not being treated well. There's lots and lots of talk about, about new programs. So, for example, we're prepared to spend $368 billion on, on uh, eight nuclear-powered submarines into the future. Uh, now, that's going to require a tripling of our submariners in the Navy, yet the, there's just no effort really being put into making sure that we can grow our Navy in a sustainable manner. No, I mean, we can't even effectively man what we've got. I mean, we've got, we've got submarines in dry dock, not just because they need repairs, but because you can't put people in them. Yeah, well, we actually saw a situation, and, and there's a, you know, a bit of conjecture about this, but we had a situation where it appears as though one of the reasons we didn't send a ship to the Red Sea was because we've got manning issues. We've got an Anzac frigate that's sitting up on hard stands 
uh, being unable to, to be deployed because we simply don't have enough personnel. And it's typically technical people, and, and they are hard to come by, and they're often very attractive to people outside of uh, the, uh, the Navy, Army or Air Force. The mining industry um, particularly. Yeah, often when the, when the mining boom, uh, I remember throughout the early uh, 2010s where the Navy, Army and Air Force were having considerable problem uh, retaining people as we went through a mining boom where you know, they could just offer what was, whatever was required to get these highly skilled and normally pretty highly motiv- motivated people uh, onto their mine sites and away from um, what can be a very disruptive lifestyle for defence where you find yourself uh, just being ordered to deploy for three or six months away from your family. Uh, it's, a, it's a hard life. Let me ask you this, Rex, if I could. I mean, is this a generational issue, this, at, at, at heart? Because when you joined in the 1980s, we were still in the grips of the Cold War. There was an obvious enemy, and that had been the case for a number of decades immediately after World War II up to that present point. And so we, we knew we needed to have a robust defence industry, and we had to have people uh, going in and, and effectively doing their duty for the nation because at any point the Cold War could have turned hot. Whereas I was reading in the Financial Review, and I think a very good summation of all of this, saying that around the Western world, a generation of politicians are facing the shock now of taking defence seriously for the first time after what has been decades cashing in the post-Cold War peace dividend. And so that's the political side. And of course, all the voters out there who aren't involved in politics, well, they're just living through the post-Cold War peace dividend. Is this part of the issue? Oh, look, I think it is. And one of the solutions to this is not to treat the Defence Force as some isolated entity that we rely on. But you know, Defence is an integrated process. It integrates all the way through our society in terms of the funding, in terms of the education, in terms of the personnel, looking after the personnel and making sure that we've got strong industries that can support Defence throughout any particular problem that, might, that might arise in the future. So we have to look at this very holistically. But you know, we do have a real problem in that our Defence Forces, they're trying to grow them and they've uh, been unsuccessful in doing so. And look, we've got Senate estimates that are on tomorrow. I'm sure this will get raised mm. uh, at Senate estimates with defence, um, as it does every single time. We've got we've got to find some solutions to this, or alternatively, ro- adopt a strategy where we have res- uh, less reliance on personnel and uh, adopt technology far more quickly. I mean, one of the things we've got in our uh, in our defence force at the moment is a bunch of ageing equipment that hasn't been replaced. Uh, with the more modern equipment that generally requires fewer people to operate because of failures in defence procurement. Just finally, uh, the former Prime Minister Tony Abbott writing in The Australian yesterday, a very thought-provoking piece, says, and I quote him here, we're still sleepwalking through lotus land, thinking the leaders of other countries are as preoccupied as ours with hospital queues and disability service improvements, not national security, wanting to believe that because war is unthinkable to us, it must equally be unthinkable to everybody else. I mean, the the purpose of a defence force uh, isn't necessarily just to be in place to fight a war. It's also there as a as a deterrent to others who might be thinking of having a crack at you, not to bother because the porcupine strategy means they'd be hurt pretty bad. The entire purpose or first purpose of our defence forces is to be a deterrent, to make it such that anyone who's considering trying to influence us with military force 
understands that there's a real cost to it. The whole point of our Defence Force in peacetime is to train, to practice, to develop tactics. And those watching look at these sorts of things and say, well, they're a well-organised force. Uh, we're not going to do the, the nasty thing that we, we were considering doing because we know the cost will be high. Do you think our potential enemies are looking at us and saying that or they're seeing something a bit different at the moment? Well, if you look at our Defence Force, again, uh, you know, acquisitions, we had the Auditor General report last uh, week saying that, you know, again, our uh, defence procurement is going backwards uh, in terms of uh, schedule delays and cost delays throughout all of the programs. We tend to take on all these really big programs uh, that are very future-focused. So, for, for example, we don't expect to get... A, uh, one of the nuclear submarines, the first nuclear submarine until at least 2035. Now, mm -hmm. there are people that, are say, that say that that's kind of like getting a really good football team after the grand final's been played. We've, yeah, and we're seeing uh, a big dip in spending at this point in time uh, as we try to scrounge around and, try and, and find money for that particular program. Yeah. So I think there's a lot of things we could do differently uh, in a lot smarter ways that would uh, better prepare us for the strategic environment that we find ourselves in. Really good to talk to you again, Rex. Thank you for your time. Thank you, Michael. Former Senator Rex Patrick.